0: have you ever gotten nervous and maybe that's not the best word have you ever become anxious after you have given advice to someone you did a counseling session or you met with a friend at a coffee shop and after the meeting was over you begin to second guess yourself wondering you know that i say the best thing the artist is never satisfied the, the author is never satisfied you finish the book and then A few weeks later, the book is published, you think, oh man, I should have said that. Well, that happens in counseling all the time. Now, if you haven't been anxious or if you haven't second-guessed yourself, well, you just haven't done enough discipleship. You need to do more. This is a common occurrence in our lives, especially when we first start out discipling someone, and so I want to talk about that in this podcast. Because the question did come up, uh, we were talking about this on our in our mastermind program among our students about when you give advice, because everybody's at a different spot, and sometimes you can feel a bit tentative or fear, fearful when you're counseling and. You're just not sure if you said the right thing, and then you say it, and then you go through this whole second-guessing kind of thing. And sometimes a counselor will second-guess the counseling that they provided. They're just not sure that they gave the best advice. Whenever you are discipling, counseling, or advising someone, and all of those words are synonyms, I know that you can pull them apart and make them mean specific things to the word, and I'm okay with that. But in another sense, they are synonyms, and so I put them together in a word cloud because I want to make sure that I cover all of you. You're either discipling or counseling or advising, and whenever you do that, you must learn to rest in the confidence that what you said was the best thing you could say to the person. Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I'm Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are here. You're listening to episode 251. The title of the podcast is The Absolute Best Counseling That You Can Give Anyone. I'm talking about having a kind of faith in your soul care, to where you can rest in the confidence that you have said the best that you could say. Now, you can do that if you do. I'm going to give you four things that I want you to consider. And if you live within these four parameters, then you have done the best that you can. And so wherever you are in your sanctification Journey. I hope that you will not just listen, but you would really take your soul to task and make sure you understand what I am saying and that you measure yourself to make sure that you do fall within these four parameters. And if you fall within them, or you can look at it like a four legged stool, if you sit on this four legged stool, You will have a firm foundation, and the advice that you give will be the best advice that you can give according to where you are at this moment. I will talk a little bit later in the podcast how you will give better advice in the future, and I hope that you do. Whatever advice that you give today You will give better advice in the future. You better, because that means that you are growing, maturing, learning more about God, growing in your faith. I am old enough now to look back over about 40 years of salvation, and I (laughs) I think about some of the things that I said decades ago that I just wouldn't say today. It's not where I am with the Lord But I can rest in where I was back then, and I did the best that I could uh, with the information that I had, the maturity that I had, and I'm comfortable with that. But I do counsel differently today, and and that will happen, and so you do have to wrestle with that. If you want to read what I'm sharing with you, then go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for episode 251. Under the Life Over Coffee drop-down, the podcast drop-down, and you'll see all of, all 251 of these podcasts, and so you can listen for a long time. But this is 251, the absolute best counseling that you can give anyone. And if you want to read the show notes, well, I would love you to do that. They're sitting right here for you. They are free to you uh, because Gary, Gary is a supporter of our ministry. He made a donation today. And Gary and several other people like him, uh, he and they provide these resources to you. Gary, thank you so much for your uh, kind. Donation. So let me get into this. The first thing I want to do is I want to build this four legged stool for you. And if you build out this four legged stool, you can sit on it, stand on it, do a handstand on it, and you'll be okay as far as the council uh, that you. Uh, provide and so this is not in any particular order, uh, but they all start with C. In fact, I'll give them to you, and then I'll walk through each one of them: canon, comforter, community, and conscience. Canon, comforter, com- comforter, <laughs> community, and conscience. Those are the four legs to the stool. And if you live within those boundaries, those parameters, if you sit on that stool, you are doing absolutely the best that you can do according to where you are today with the lord those four means of grace are canon that is the bible that is a a theolog- that is a a bible college term a, uh, that you learn it means the rule the rule book uh, it, it's like a a ruler it it draws a, a a straight line or a plumb line it's like a plumb line it, it it is the the line is straight and it it gives you the direction that you need and the bible is is the canon now you can support you can support what you're saying with god's word and so the question that I'm I would ask you when you advise someone can you support what you're saying with God's Word? Now, that is an important leg on this stool. You want to be bibliocentric. You want to be Bible-centered, and you want to make sure that you are interpreting and applying Scripture correctly. Now, again, I realize that we're all in a maturation process, and, and the novice Christian will interpret it maybe differently than the sound, reasoned, biblically trained exegete, but according to where you are, can you support what you're saying with God's Word? Number two is comforter. Do you believe you have the illumination of the Spirit of God? You're walking in the Spirit. In fact, I have an article here about how to do that, and if you click on it, you can read that article, and it will help you because we We are Trinitarians. We believe in Father, Son, and Spirit, and walking in the Spirit is a thing, even for my Reformed brothers, my charismatic brothers and sisters. They walk too much sometimes in the Spirit. My Reformed brothers and sisters, uh, well, I don't know if they're Trinitarians or not, some of them, uh, because uh, they're, they're afraid of being pneumatic. And then my Baptist brothers, well, they're somewhere in in the middle. Uh, But anyhow, uh, do you believe you have illumination from the Spirit of God? Then the three is community. Do others affirm what you want to say? In many cases, do others affirm what you have already said? I'll speak to community a little more here in just a second. And then finally, conscience. Does your inner voice affirm what you want to say? your conscience, your moral thermostat. Conscience is the Latin for conscience. It means co-knowledge, that inner voice that you have inside of you. Does it affirm what you want to say? And so can you support it with God's Word? Do you believe you have the illumination of the Spirit of God? Do others affirm what you are advising, counseling, discipling, and does your inner voice affirm, your internal moral thermostat, your con science. Now, as far as community input is concerned, I understand it's realistic. It, it, it is realistic to assume that you're not going to be able to get community input before you advise every person in your life. If if someone asks you a question, say an impromptu question, and you want to give them some advice on the spot. Well, you can't say, well, let me go check with a few friends and, and then I'll get back with you because I stand on a four-legged stool, not a three-legged one, and so I need the can and the comforter, the community, and my conscience before I respond to you. Well, that's not realistic. But what you want to do is you want to develop a habit of borrowing brains often enough. And if you borrow brains often enough, I've been borrowing brains for my entire Christian experience, and it is a habit. I don't run every counseling situation by people, but I have done it enough times that it's not only a habit, uh, but I... Pretty. It, it helps me to stay in line because I, I, I after a while you just learn you know what people are going to say, what your friends are, how they are going to uh, agree with you or disagree with you. And of course, I'm talking about friends who don't rubber stamp you. When I say friends, I made I mean friends. I put something on Facebook last week, I think, talking about friends. And then somebody retorted and said, well, no, uh, because all friends, they just don't have the courage to speak into your life or something like that. Well, that's not a friend. That's not what I, that's not a, I don't have those kinds of, I mean, I have those friends, but they're not on my inner circle. So let me say it that way. You have an inner circle of friends People who won't rubber stamp you, but they do have the courage and the grace, and they're kind about it. But you give each other per- permission to disagree. I don't, I am. I don't have respect for rubber stampers. I don't want people to disagree. Those are fearful people. They, they aren't reciprocal friends. I respect them in, as far as being made in the image of God, but not respect them enough to bring them into my inner circle. I need reciprocal friends, people who have the courage to disagree when they disagree, when they think differently. And so you're not going to be able to talk to your friend before you give advice every time, but that is a habit that you do want to create. You have to have a community, companions that you surround yourself with, competent peers who can advise you, again, even if you don't talk to them every time. Now, if you do these four things, you will have done the absolute best that you can do when discipling another person. The beauty in this fourfold balancing act is that they work together to keep you from straying outside the lines of poor advice. Let me give you a few examples of how you can isolate any one of these means of grace and and it will take your counsel off the rails. Let me go back through them again and talk about isolating them instead of them working as a fourfold balancing act. And if you do isolate them without integrating all of them at the same time, uh, you could provide, you could give bad counsel. And so the canon, the Bible, well, you can misread it. You, You can misinterpret God's word. You can take scripture's out of context. It happens every day. Literally. It has happened every day since the publication of the Bible. And even before that with the Old Testament, the Pharisees did that. And I'm not saying you're a Pharisee if you misread or misinterpret or Take it out of context, but people do it, and the Pharisees did. They took the Old Testament, they misinterpreted God's word. It's so easy to do, and so you know we say we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, and we believe in that. We stand on God's word because it's God's word, it's inspired, it's infallible. But we are fallible, and so if you just take the Bible and isolate it outside of these other three means of grace, well. Uh, you could your counsel could go into the weeds quickly. Comfiter, you can drift into subjectivism, leaning too heavily on emotionalism. And, and it's not this. It's not the spirit that you are that is illuminating you. And and you could. And I, I've I've had I've I've counseled both of these people. The person, well, you know, God's word says, and it's like, uh, well, that's kind of a weird interpretation. Or then, and I've heard a lot of this. You know, the spirit of God was leading, and I, I see this a lot when somebody has an idea, something that they want, and then they they start seeing signs everywhere you know well you know this person said this to me and that person said that and then this thing happened and they're reading into it and and at best is subjective It's subjective and that's why you need this fourfold balancing act here emotionalism and subjectivism uh, it is a common christian experience the comforter and then community and for example some some people Will say, Oh, I don't think others can help me. And maybe they haven't benefited from sound one anothering. Maybe they don't have those internal, that close circle, that internal relationship, the the closest inner ring of your relationships, reciprocal relationships. Maybe they don't have those companions. Maybe their friends are Facebook friends. Maybe that's what friends means to them because they don't have anybody in their real world, real space in their face uh, lovingly and competently and courageously uh, having a reciprocal relationship. So that happens too. And then there are other people who really don't want to hear what what somebody's going to say because they have something that they want and they know if I go and share this, well, you know, if I share this with Rick, he's going to talk me out of it. He'll have a different opinion. And so they just don't want to hear it. And so they, they cut that leg off of their stool. And then the fourth one is conscience. Your inner voice can mislead you. I saw a church sign many years ago that said, always obey your conscience. And I just thought, oh my, oh my, please take that off your church sign. I mean, the people that flew planes into the Twin Towers were obeying their conscience. They were doing what God told them to do, more or less. Your conscience can be hard. It can be soft. Your conscience is manipulatable. And and one of the more common errors that people make in, in giving counsel is they map their experience over the person that they're talking to. And so, when they hear something like, and it's typically trigger words, usually around abuse. And so, a person who has been abused, a person's gone through a divorce, and they're counseling somebody in a similar situation, and they just, boom, man, they just start mapping their experience over that person rather than giving them advice as a unique individual that's different from from the person that's giving advice, and so they're mapping their experience and their inner voice. They haven't settled this thing in their soul about what happened to them, and so you can take each one of these four things, and you can pull them out and isolate them, and you can take your counseling right off right off the rails. Now, there is an element of subjectivity in all counseling, and so you do need to understand that. You don't want to overthink Uh, what you're doing. You don't want to overthink your counseling. Just think yourself silly. Think yourself into circles like a dog chasing its tail. And so you have to embrace the subjective element of giving advice to another person. I'm not talking about being sloppy. Again, I'm just giving you four rails that you can sit on or four legs of a stool that you can sit on Uh, that will keep you within certain boundaries. And so I'm not talking about sloppiness here, but even with all of that said, there is an element of subjectivity to all of our advice giving, and you have to embrace the subjective element, not be scared. You have to step into the pneumatic opportunity entirely. Now, being pneumatic, pneumatos, pneumatology, the doctrine of the spirit, pneuma, air, Pneumatology, the study of the Spirit. So when I say being pneumatic, I'm talking about walking in in the Spirit. It's not a blind trust, but a biblically informed one. Again, you're working within the four means of grace that I have outlined for you. And those means are the boundaries that you want to stay within. And you will have to work to rest, work to rest inside those Parameters. Each of the four elements of sound decision making alone. Again, it can steer you in the wrong direction. But when you're accessing all four of them, you are doing the best you can do. Now, here's another thing. Because you are a unique counsel giver, what you may advise will differ from the next person. And so, your friend Biff, he's going to offer counsel to the same person. Let's say Biff offers counsel to the same person that you just got through advising, guess what? Biff is going to do it differently from you. And so you want to make sure that you don't fall into the temptation of comparing your advice to the next person. You use these four means of grace and don't get into a mind game about what someone else would say. Some of our students will do that in our mastermind program, especially when they come in on the front end. Well, how would Rick answer this question? Who cares how Rick will answer this question? How will you answer this question according to these four means of grace? To your own master, you must stand or fall. Is your faith... Not mine, not another person. You don't rest in someone else's relationship with God, but you rest in your own. There is no question that the next person would advise the same individual differently from how you did. That's because they have a unique faith and personal walk with God that has brought different perspectives and experiences in their life. Different amounts of training, different kinds of Bible training, a, they are at a different place in the sanctification process. You can think of it like mile markers on the interstate. Each person is at a different mile marker, which influences what they would say to someone. And so you must not get caught up in the best advice, which is, I don't that's That's odd, but you have to rest in the absolute most perfect counsel that you can give, which you will do if you measure what you say against these four means of grace that I have outlined for you. As you think about the mile marker strategy, you perceive within that metaphor the implication that your counsel will be different in the future. You're, and I, I talked about this earlier. And so the counsel that you do give today will be different in the future because you are in this sanctification process. Everything that you think and believe today will not be identical to your future perspectives and understanding and relationship with the Lord. Or let me state it this way. I hope not. You should always be maturing, growing, changing, evolving I have provided counsel years ago that I would not do today. But that's not a call to worry about your incomplete sanctification today. You know, some people do fall into that trap. When I learn more, when I get smarter, well, okay, you, 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 you. You're chasing something that's going to be really hard to identify, and so don't fall into that trap. Just thank God that you're going to be smarter tomorrow than you were today, and next year you're going to be even more so, and your counseling will get better. And There's another aspect here, by the way, that to become a good counselor, one of the keys to becoming a good disciple-maker is the repetition of the process by doing it over and over again. It's like, I'm not going to uh, start playing the piano until I learn everything that there is to know about a piano. No, you can study the mechanics of a piano, and you can practice at the same time, and that's what you should be doing about as far as giving advice and helping your friends. Now, there's another trap that a disciple maker will jump into, and that's the results of their soul care. This kind of person sees the counseling formula as this, watering, planting, growing. Watering, planting, and growth. They interpret this as proper counseling. That is a false formula. There are only two parts to what you're supposed to be doing as far as providing outstanding advice. And that is according to 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. That's watering and planting. That's it. That's your job. Your job is to practically share the good news according to your unique relationship with God, your understanding of his word and input from the body of Christ as you have opportunity to talk to your friends. If you believe that transformation is the final vote the person's transformation, that the individual changes. You talk to your teenager, and he changes. And if you believe that the results, the growth, is the final vote about the quality of your counseling, you're going to be disappointed most of the time. If you push this perspective too far, in fact, if you push it too far, you'll start manipulating the counseling because you're more interested in the outcome than being obedient to the process. And there's a lot of folks that they have that false formula, watering, planting, and growing. They have to see growth. Then the person doesn't change. They start putting pressure on themselves. Well, they can put pressure on themselves by guilting themselves and manipulating their own minds because, well, I should have said this, should have said that, shouldn't have said that. Or they can start manipulating another person, forcing righteousness on someone. But if you follow the process that I outlined here, the counseling will be excellent, regardless of how the person receives it or reacts to it. Again, to your own master, you must stand. You cannot measure your counsel. By how others would do it, or the results you hoped would happen. The truth is there is an air of arrogance in the person who affirms his counseling based on the results. For example, quote, that was not a good counseling session because such and such outcome did not happen. Do you hear the arrogance in the statement? How in the world do you know that was not a good counseling session? How do you know? What the Spirit did or didn't do inside that person's heart. That's like the preacher saying, that well, you know, it just I didn't. It wasn't a great sermon, and he's he's saying that now. Maybe it was a lousy sermon because he's a lousy exegete. But stay with me here. Let's just say it was uh, it was a proper sermon, and he says it wasn't a good sermon because he's measuring it by the reaction of the audience, and then. Three months or three years later, someone walks through the door and they recount that sermon that he preached way back then and said, you wouldn't know this, but God did this in my heart and it, it just changed my life and I just want to tell you that. Do you hear the arrogance in the person that says, well, that was not a good counseling session based on such and such out because the outcome did not happen? I'm not saying that there aren't ever things that you can't do better. But in context of what I am saying, be careful about self judgment. We should have enough self awareness and enough humility. To assess how we're doing, and there's always room to change. But again, in context of what I'm saying, I'm talking about the overthinkers, the overcaring people, the people that uh, will fall into this trap of embracing the false formula that it's not just watering and planting, but I need to see results as well. This is episode 251. The title of the episode, The Absolute Best Counseling That You Can Give anyone. You're welcome to read all of these show notes. So I have a bunch of embedded articles inside these show notes, and so you could do a lot of studying here, if you wish, brought to you by Gary and friends. And so please do that. Here's, uh, some, here's the call to action, some questions that I want you to think about. My preface is, give your advice. Counseling, discipleship, whatever you want to call it, give your advice according to God's Word, one, as illuminated by the Spirit of God two, affirmed by the community as often as you can and when appropriate, and in line with your conscience. There's your four-legged stool, and that's it. Now question, which one of these four means of grace gives you the most struggle? Just be, be honest with that. Now my follow-up is, what is your plan to overcome that tension that, that you have? And then question number two, what other fears or insecurities do you have? when it comes to providing care to another individual? What fears or insecurities do you have? Because people, Christians, I've seen so many of them, I've interacted with so many of them, that they're not only fearful or insecure, but they take it to the point that they don't do it. They disqualify themselves. They don't want to sit on that stool so if we could help you with any of these things, please let us know. We would love to chat with you. We have a free community forum. You can jump right on it, and our team would be more than happy to respond to you. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 251